0: Howdy, everyone. Welcome to another episode of QBT. Today, we are going to be addressing the elephant in the room of what's going on in this country. And also, we have a referral where a wonderful friend of ours, Marissa, is coming in to talk about queer youth and mental health. I'm Maddie Germs. And I am Shawnee. And we are two queer babes talking about mental health, pop culture, and whatever the hell else we want. No justice, no peace. Fuck the police. Let's go. Mm-hmm.
1: Try to talk slick. All up in my ear and shit. <laughs> hey, Maddie Girl. Hi, 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 hi. Hello. Um... I think we're going to cover a lot of ground on this episode. A Maybe lot. So. so everybody buckle in. <laughs>
0: Take know. a breath if you need to. Uh, we're uh, obviously going to aim to bring the same energies of holding multiple things at the same time. So um, I think as we laugh, no, we are not taking things less seriously or being less fucking
1: angry. So, Oh, for sure. <laughs> I, uh <laughs> going through a lot of emotions right now so you might get bubbly Sean, you might get solemn Sean. uh we'll see yeah but i guess we can start off with the homework review okay how do you remember what the homework was
0: yeah so we were you offered um us a time to meditate or think about accountable relationships in our life so even if we didn't move on to the full conversation of we are now in accountability together. Um, There's at least an intention to um, move forward and think about those relationships in our life. And I think when I thought about the homework, um, right after we recorded, I went backpacking with my partner and um, just got out into the fucking wild and felt really connected to them. And I, I think that I was going to bring this offering of like um, accountability in romantic partnerships. And then uh not that it wasn't shit before but the um the world got shittier the world got shittier (laughs) and um i think that you and i were having an off recorded conversation a little bit around what does it mean to keep our friends accountable at this time and for me as a white person what does it mean to alleviate some of the educating and some of the checking for black and brown folks in my life um i don't know we were talking about like the noticing of silence mm-hmm. and how that feels.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think that I was attempting to do the homework and then, um, you know, George George Floyd and everything else prior to George Floyd happening kind of threw me off a bit, um, but it did sort of, the idea of accountability and holding people accountable, I realized was exhausting for me to have to do with my white friends because Mm -hmm. at this point i should not have to Mm -hmm. and it is not my responsibility as a black person to hold you accountable like (laughs) a race is something that is evident it's present at all times and i can't keep reminding you of that like at this point you should know that if you're white you should just know that and if you're uncomfortable with it if it's not something you're okay with then like figure the shit out and like get somebody to hold you accountable to like figuring it out and don't get a black person to do it because we're tired and we're not going to. It's just at this point, just do better. And that's just sort of where I'm at right now. And I feel like, you know, a lot of the friendships that, I have built over the years, I've been taking a, a magnifying glass too over this last week and just seeing who has actually shown up and been a real ally and actually like gives a shit and is stepping up and doing something yeah. and who is sitting there in silence, not saying anything and being very complicit in all of this. And we, like you said, Maddie, we talked offline about this a bit, but if that's anxiety or if, again, if it's something you're just uncomfortable with, I'm not sympathetic to it, I'm just not. Like my existence is uncomfortable in America. So right. if that's what your excuse is, because that's what it is, it's an excuse, is like your anxiety or being uncomfortable about it, like save it and take it to somebody else who cares. Like yeah. save those white tears for somebody else because I do not care how you feel right now because my people are dying out on the streets. Yeah. Yeah, I think
0: um, for folks, for white folks listening to this that maybe are identifying themselves in some of the frustration you're sharing. I think um, you should look to um, black folks that have done a lot of this work already. There's a book by Leila Wassad called Me and White Supremacy. Um, there is Toni Morrison, there is Bell Hooks. There are like pay black people who've made a career of educating um, about race to educate yourself. Google it. Do not go to your Black friends right now asking what you need to do or that is performative. And um, what I'm hearing from you is check in on me, but don't ask me to hold your hand through this because that's that's not what this relationship, that's not what an accountable relationship
1: looks like right now. Correct. That's absolutely it. I mean, if you want to make a difference, if you want to change, like make a change. Um, I'll know that you want to do that because you'll just go figure out how to do it on your own. Like you won't need to ask me, right. I'm a okay with people checking in on me. I want you to check in on me and ask me how I'm doing because I have had a shit week. Mm. Um, but don't ask me how I'm doing and then follow up with like, well, what can I do to help? Right what do you mean, what can you do to help? Like, you tell me, what can you do to help? Like, I'm not, you're, like, if you're white, you're the one in power. Like, at the end of the day, I can't solve racism for you. I didn't invent racism. Black people didn't invent racism. Y'all did. So, like, if you want a solution to it, y'all are going to have to figure it out. (laughs) We can't do that for you. We've done everything else for you. So stop asking us to do things. And I'm going to hold y'all accountable to that shit. Don't ask me to do anything else, because I'm going to say no.
0: (laughs) I think um, we might post a link tree on our instagram with some places to go so that you don't have to ask um but also you know white people who maybe have moved a little bit beyond the point of initial learning or um unlearning behaviors there's still a lot we have to do to remain accountable and there's um relationships that we need to build Um, there's often coalitions in your area surge s-u-r-j is Uh, An organization that is about white accountability, Uhuru Solidarity Movement is another one. Um, Step into speaking up to people around you, families, friends, notice who's silent, Um, recognize who around you is saying and what they're saying, and just make sure that we're doing the work of keeping each other accountable, because it shouldn't be put onto another expectation of unpaid Black labor.
1: Let's move on yeah let's Uh, talk about some lighter things i 24 hours has been enough of the heavy shit so yeah i actually want to talk about some of the cool things happening like okay i was we're gonna get to chromatica but i want to start by saying congratulations to fucking jada essence hall oh yeah Drag race. Yes. Oh my God. My girl. She came through. My she, queen. She looked great. She looked amazing. Um,
0: did not. That fucking stupid thing is so fucking stupid.
1: Oh God. I feel like it's because like he can't do his face and he can't probably have somebody there to do it for him.
0: I think it's that. It could also be that he got like um some plastic surgery. That isn't mm-hmm. something that I was thinking like he might have gotten whatever it is, like it was dumb. I hate it. It's dumb. Like you did it for the first time. Do something else for the second one, like even do one of the masks that that one time that she uh, that uh, the makeup person wasn't there, like it was around like the Matthew kind of transition or something mm-hmm. happened, and they put her in that like colorful kind of Lee Bowery mask. I don't remember what season it was, a couple seasons ago, and the side right. blonde ponytail. Maybe. Like, oh wait, yes, 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 yes. The yes, only time right. RuPaul's ever been in a mask, like do a mask like that, do something yeah. cool. Yeah. I'm oh, I don't know. just put on that thing that like thong ass sparkle. It's so ugly, so stupid. <laughs> but so, yes, dumb. we don't have to talk Jada. about that person, Jada Hall, Essence Hall. And you know what?
1: For a second, I was like, please don't do my girl dirty because like Crystal and um, Gigi had these like backgrounds that they had like hand-painted or, like, made themselves or whatever, whatever. And Jada's was very, like... Jada, I feel like, she had a whole fucking dance routine. Yeah. There was a storyline. Yeah. It was just, like, in her living room. That was, was really that was yeah. the only difference. I really liked it. And I was very surprised she chose... Yeah. Uh, was that Sierra? I think That's so. Sierra song, yeah. yeah. I was like, uh, oh, okay.
0: I honestly... I think this has been one of the best top threes to exist mm-hmm. in, in Drag Race in a long time. I felt really... Um, I thought they all did a really cool job. I mean, Gigi's production set, I mean, they have that House yeah. of Avalon that works with them that um, was awesome. But Crystal's little bird number, oh my God, was great. I loved that. And I mean, also at that final lip sync when Jada like flips that thing up and it has the crown over her head. It was great. I'm glad. It was I, good, it, great it was moments. A, yeah, it oh was God. a good smile that I had. I appreciated it.
1: Yay. Okay, now on to the next gay thing, Chromatica. Sure. Oh, yes. Give it to me.
0: Yeah. I I feel like, I want to name first that I like the album. I think it is a gift, a great summer gift. Love it. I think that um, the aesthetics, the merch, the marketing of... All of this, I love the font. I love it's a little bit ugly. I love all the posters. I just hated the stupid love video because it's gross. And Mm -hmm. Rain on Me video is really, really, really good. What is disgusting about it is the fucking doll's kill of it all. I don't want my pop star to be wearing $120 boobs. I don't want my pop star to be wearing plastic skirts. Like I just, where is the couture? Where is it? Mm. there is something kind of fun and cool and ravey about the look but like elevate it like don't some i saw like direct screenshots of like how much individual portions of that costume cost and like any drag queen with a credit card could recreate it you know what i mean like yeah um that being said the album uh so good she gave us that sour candy uh thing on the day before that song is so cute um I think for me, Chromatica 2 to 3 is the best section. It goes like, Mm. um, it's like Plastic Doll, Sour Candy, Enigma, Replay. Like those are of the songs we had not heard before. And Sour Candy came out the day before. It kind of was the same day. Like Mm -hmm. that section of the album is just like so good to me.
1: Oh my God, same. So. Alice got me. I was like, all right, I see where we're it's going. It's a great intro. Yeah. Right? I was like, I see where we're going. This was a good setup for what this album's going to be. Fucking stupid love, being stupid, all over. it. It's the there. Place. Yeah. Yeah. I hated it. Least favorite song on the <laughs> album. Least favorite song in life. Um, okay. Wow. I don't feel that strongly about it. I just like <laughs> the video. I really dislike that song. That's fine. But rain on Me, a blessing. Um, it's great. And then Free Woman, give me some more. Love it. I love that. 911, absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh, that's
0: in that section of because yeah, into.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then Sour Candy is my like top three just because that little doom, 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 doom. It's like yeah. the swish, swish, <laughs> the swish, swish of it all. That's yeah stupid. I uh, was telling our friend Carlos that it, it resonates at the right gay frequency. So yeah. it's just immediately, I'm like, I'm in, I'm sold. Yeah. Um, honestly, the, like, whole Chromatica 3 portion, too. Like, okay. Thousand Doves in Babylon. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, to
0: me, is the weakest part of really? the Really? That, like, it...
1: The, the Elton John song is... I could do without, but... I like her I don't in hate it. it. Yeah. It I just, like the beat switch at the end of that as well.
0: Yes. I have listened to Chromatica 3 the least. I've probably listened to it like three or four times. And Mm. I've, I've listened to like parts one and two all of those times. And then I just get a little... I like Sign From Above in some ways, but Elton... I mean, I don't mean to disrespect, I guess, a gay icon. I just... I'm not... It doesn't do it for me. But I forgot Thousand Doves was on the album. So, I mean, whatever. But Babylon, I... I like it. I also Mm -hmm. think that fashion and Donatella are songs that already exist and it's not that different in my opinion. Um, It's very bad. I I heard a leak of that song specifically as a demo and the demo was terrible. It was like basically just the lyrics and everything else was very muted underneath it and it was like it was really scary because when Stupid (laughs) Love leaked that was the exact same song that got put out which was another ah. biggest like it got leaked long before and she did nothing to kind of change it or enhance it or anything um when babylon leaked i was like oh my god is this what the album is going to sound like and so i unfortunately hear i can kind of hear the st- stupidity of it all which honestly yeah. i like this about chromatica i my favorite gaga is when she realizes that she's basically a slightly elevated drag queen like when she knows that she's talented but does not center like the theater kid of it all ah. you know like i can't stand it like i am happy there's like barely a ballad on this like
1: oh there just isn't yeah. It's i feel like the album what i love about it so much is that it it just feels very 90s club scene and 90s club scene even though in the 90s i was Like, probably, what, at the oldest, I was 11, so... You weren't raving at 11? Huh? Uh, You weren't raving at 11? Hmm. I mean, (laughs) my (laughs) fake ID, no, I was not at all. But I still, for some reason, know about that scene. I don't know, maybe because my mom was, like, clubbing it with my aunt and, like, Mm -hmm. my kids and stuff. And I just remember them, like, going out and coming back. And I'd be like, dang, I want to go where they are going. Isn't it crazy
0: that we are now the gay aunties? Oh, God. (laughs) I <laughs> Or the gay drunk aunties in the in the relationship.
1: I'm like <laughs> contemplating driving down to LA to go see my niece just so that um, I can, you know, teach her the gay ways. I love that. Um yeah, I
0: I think it's great. I think the I love that we have a dance album. I love that in Free Woman she's like, This is the dance floor I fought for. Like mm-hmm. I um I was talking to my therapist about this, actually, where I was like, I, what I'm about to say is dumb. I need you to know that <laughs> I know it is dumb. And I cried to this Lady Gaga song today while I was walking around because I just had been absorbing all this news. And then she comes out with like, this is the dance floor I fought for. And like, I uh can hold that an emotion of tears is a stupid response <laughs> and i was like welling up a little bit i was like "Jolie, we have to like get along faster um, <laughs> i really the only thing that i am a tiny bit bummed about is that i had heard that there was like gonna be a sophie collab and i am missing a little bit of some harsher sounds like i'm i'm missing a little bit mm. of like glass breaking kind of sounds from this album that being said i I think it joins you know born this way and art pop as like the holy trinity of Gaga's career in my opinion.
1: I will agree with you. I'm I am so pleasantly surprised that I enjoyed this album because yep. it could have been love. I was like, well I just don't know. Yep. And then Rain on Me and I said, "All right, we're on like neutral ground right yeah. now, like, like which way are you going to take it?" Yep. And I did not hear Sour Candy before the album. So, yeah. I, when I just got to it, I was like all right, like I'm sold on this album yep. The far. Like you, yep. you have me, like you hit, you're hit you hitting me right in my gay little heart where yeah. it needs to be. Um, and I like that there's not a ballad, you know? Like I yeah. feel like right now in this day and age, I do not need to listen to a sad song. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm crying enough. Like yeah. I don't need another sad song to cry to. Give yeah. me like a party album that I can like jump up and down in my apartment to by myself which is all i did on thursday night for like two hours
0: (laughs) and i mean it follows the tradition of like disco or um i don't know fucking robin where you can Mm -hmm. say sad things in a dance way like you can you can utilize dance as a release of emotion and there is like sadness to the sort of concept of this album and she allows it to flow in a really um dance way. It's fun. I'm happy that it wasn't terrible cuz it really could have been.
1: It really could have been.
0: <laughs> um TV, are you have you seen Homecoming season 2 yet? Um
1: so I've seen those same two episodes that I told you I watched like okay. a week ago. Um but you liked those.
0: I mean, we don't but have I did. spoil I anything.
1: That. Yeah, no. I I liked those first two episodes. Homecoming is a show that I have to like sit down and just watch through yeah and in order to do that that means like i need a day where i'm just not doing anything yeah like i've just been doing things every day but i liked the first two episodes and i was like all right like i need to come back and just like finish this thing out but if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it in like one solid
2: day
0: yeah i mean that's what we did we came back from backpacking and just ordered food and then watched (laughs) uh the whole season and to people who maybe haven't seen the first season i there is stuff from the first season that you kind of need to know. There is a summary kind of like last season on homecoming, but I also watched like a 10 minute YouTube video to remind me about what mm-hmm. that was about. Um, in some ways I liked this more because I wasn't comparing it to the podcast, which I really liked. It was yeah. like a completely new thing and you kind of wake up with Jan- Janelle, Janelle confusion and you're confused too. And it allows some um, stuff to, get hammered out. She's amazing in it. I think some of the things that I have um I I am of two minds with the show because it does some really 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 cool acting portrayals for and it features powerful women and it also really indicts them and there's some kind of like self-righteous man in all of it and I I wish that there would have been a more strong moral center portrayed by a woman in the show and yeah. at the same time women are complicated and can be evil and so it's fine but like i just i feel both things about it but um yeah i'm glad that it came out and i am excited for you to watch it more it definitely is bisexual born identity and i'm not (laughs) upset by that
1: yay uh did you watch speaking of black actresses Uh uh-huh did you watch the lovebirds on netflix I really liked it. I mean, I don't think it was, like, necessarily...
0: You did? Yeah, I did. I didn't think it was necessarily, like, revolutionary or anything, but I don't expect that from a romantic comedy. You know, like, I've never watched a romantic comedy and been like, oh, my God. I've always just been like, that's a show. That's, that happened. And I think that Kamel and Issa, I love that it kind of starts with them on this one-night stand and then it is, like, immediately jumps to kind of the deterioration of their relationship in a very honest way way I don't know I felt like four stupid movies like that I thought it worked
1: you don't agree I fell asleep twice okay <laughs> <laughs> I did finish it out because I wanted to make sure I, I love Issa right? so I was like I'm gonna watch yeah. this and I'm gonna, like watch it but yo you're right I mean it was it was a mediocre movie yeah I it mean I dual screened so, it mediocre yeah so. I I thought she was solid.
0: I just um, the
1: relationship was not the relationship. Their chemistry was also not stellar, mm. in my opinion.
0: I, I think the Lovebirds is worth a watch. I don't think it's insane, but like it's like adults going on a crazy chase. Like that is a very old genre of movie where you just have like Issa Rae at the helm, and I think that she she met the challenge without offering us stellar movie which i don't expect from those types of movies though but that's just me i suggest people
1: watch it though i don't i don't know <laughs> i'm not gonna I, make that suggestion but oh
0: I, my god okay 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 okay
1: um <gasps> maddie we disagree on a piece of popcorn <laughs>
0: <Wow>. <laughs> um chloe and hallie's do it video have you seen it
1: i haven't seen the video but i love the song
0: yeah the video is like, very pretty
1: yeah i love them Yeah, I really do. They are, I mean, I'm not surprised they're Beyonce's artists, but it's, I'm obsessed.
0: Yeah, I think that they're definitely worth giving a stream, especially if you're not like um, really on them. Like I'm not necessarily, I haven't listened to a Chloe and Halle album ever. I've like watched some of their performances and I like some of their songs, but this was kind of the first thing that I was like, oh, I'm excited to engage with this. And also whichever the older one the one that, which one is the one that's not playing The Little Mermaid? Chloe. She is like, she produces most of their music. And oh, like, oh. there was this video that she did where she was like, listen, we were stoked because Beyonce offered us very little notes and Beyonce always offers a lot of notes. And so when <laughs> she sent it back and didn't have much to say, we were like, this is a fucking hit. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, she's talking about all the producers she's worked with, and Hallie, the younger one, was like, "I just want y'all to know she's being humble right now. She produced ninety-seven percent of this album. We did get help, obviously. We're in the music business, but yeah, Chloe did most of this. So I just yeah, I'm, I'm excited. excited for them.
1: Their last album was great. I loved it. I have a few. I don't remember them off the top of my head, but I can give you some some Chloe and Hallie recommendations. I've been following them for a while. Yeah.
0: I would love to hear them. I love that. Tiana Taylor's Made It single. I texted you like a week after it came out. (laughs) I was like, have you heard this? You were like, yeah, it's been out a week. But I missed it. (laughs) It was in the woods. But I loved it. I love it.
1: It's good. It's good. I love that it's... uh... I think the cover art is like a cap and gown, so yeah. I love that it's you know kind of meant for these students that are missing out on their like real life graduation or in person graduations are still real. Yeah, um, your in person graduation, you have to do it you know via Zoom, and you've been working all this time on your degree, and also not even if you're in school, you just been working your ass off to make yeah. ends meet, and you made it.
0: And not it. for ends meet, but like for her stake and music she's been working her ass off
1: yeah
0: um i think i watched that there was like a a breakfast club interview around the time which like mixed feelings about Breakfast Club, but uh, interview with her w- around the time the album came out. And when we talked about her last time, I just kind of went down a rabbit hole of Tiana Taylor and <laughs> listening to her experience about the layout of the album. And it's just so sad because it's so good. But I'm, I'm hoping that she gets a better um, rollout and has more control over the album because I like the single. I think it's good. I'm excited to hear what else comes from this. If you're, I just wanted to mention this too. I watched this a couple of weeks ago and it um, made me laugh and feel good. So if you're kind of seeking some form of escapism, Cola Scola, who like does a lot of character, they're from, um, I think they're originally from Portland. They're, I know their family lives in Oregon, but um, they're very kooky weird. I think they had like a show with Jeffrey Self on, um, uh, what was that game logo like logo. years and years and years. And years <laughs> I used
1: ago. to love that show that's right when I had like I think graduated from college and by myself and I would like watch that show at like one o'clock in the morning on yeah. like weekends and just yeah. be like this shit is hilarious Cole is great
0: I've seen clips and I, I really got in touch with their careers after that happened, and I, they both mm-hmm. mention it, but um, Jeffrey Self used to have a weird podcast where he'd, like, record under a pillow, under, like, a mattress in his room, it sounded so weird. Anyway, um,
1: I think uh, Jeffrey's on that show Search Party. Have you ever heard of that show? Uh,
0: I love Search Party, and I love John Early. I forgot that Jeffrey is on it a little bit, but he's not the main
1: no, he's, I think he's John Early's boyfriend.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. I haven't seen, it just moved to HBO Max. I really want to see it.
1: There's Blue Barrington uh, oh, in the background.
0: <laughs> I also want to watch that show, Legendary, which I have like mixed <gasps> feelings about the judges and stuff, but I want to see it.
1: I do too. I actually just got HBO Max. Oh my God, Blue is going crazy in there. Sorry, guys. Okay. Um, I just got HBO Max and it's stupid because you can't, I have a fire stick and you can't, Stream? You it on. Yeah, you can't use it on Fire Stick. Um, and mm-hmm. you can't watch it on your computer either. So you can only use, like, an iPhone, an iPad, an Apple TV. Um, Isn't there Roku? Is it just Roku? It's not even on Roku. It's You can That's only – I don't know what else you can get it on, but you can't get it on Fire Stick or Roku. So I'm like, so then who has it? <laughs> That's weird. I That's guess weird. Google, Google Chrome if you have that. But it's also weird that you can't just, like – go to hbomax.com and watch stuff.
0: I truly don't understand why they created any new streaming platform when they already have two streaming platforms, HBO Go and HBO Now, one's for cable subscribers and then one's for like just, it doesn't, I, I don't get that. Anyway, Cola Scola has a YouTube special called Help, I'm Stuck and he just like does all these characters. It's about four, 55 minutes. I watched it in the middle of the day one day and really enjoyed it. It's a free boost of queer ridiculousness on it honest, honestly if you want to give that a listen or a go um i think that you and i were excited to talk about things that were not the state of the world mm-hmm. and i think even at the beginning of this week we maybe still felt the way of maybe mentioning and moving on and at this point so much has been going on it just feels irresponsible in a lot of ways to not talk about it in a different way, especially in the ways that it's been affecting both of our mental health. But Mm -hmm. um, how are you feeling about, um, no, you all can't hear this, I'm waving my hands, but just about everything (laughs) right now.
1: Um, Let's name emotions. (laughs) Um, Angry, frustrated, annoyed, sad, anxious, um rage i almost had hopelessness but I don't think I'm there yet um yeah just those yeah it's so, a tough time
0: <laughs> yeah and you know in case for some reason you've been under a rock i feel like this week kind of started with the uh, central park karen with that dog she was choking and you know i'm going to call the police um and she used her white woman voice to say an african-american man is terrorizing me taunting me something whatever when he was just like asking her to get her fucking dog together and it wasn't even rude like
1: yeah and she like was (laughs) strangling the dog
0: (laughs) the dog got taken away from her which is cute and she lost her job so yeah so Um, fantastic but that happened and then you know the murder of george floyd happened right after that another you know in, in like I can't breathe situation fucking cop who was later revealed to have worked with him for like almost 17 years at this thing. Like he fucking knew this guy. It wasn't even just like, there's no even other excuse around, you know, I'm fearing for my life or whatever over a potential, I don't know if it was a check or a $20 bill. I've heard different things, but uh, a a potentially fraudulent piece of uh, tender money. That ended up being legal and real. So like capitalism kills us all and capitalism literally at the hands of police killed George Floyd. It just like doesn't, it's fucking outrageous.
1: And it it it, it was almost like, I don't know if I want to get into this right now, maybe. Let's see. But it's almost like I heard about George Floyd and I, not purposely ignored it, but almost was okay with being distracted, so that I didn't have to actually look at the news story. Uh-huh. And then I read the news story, and I didn't watch the video. But within the article I was looking at, of course, there was a, like an image, yeah. and the image was a close-up of his face as he, like you know, as he was dying, yeah. and that image. It, it burned itself into my brain. And I have not been able to get that image out of my head for days now. Um, Fuck. And this is, A, a reason why I don't need you guys sharing these videos or <laughs> images because this is what it does to black people is now I'm triggered and now I have something burned in my brain that I'm not ever gonna be able to unsee. Right,
0: right. And you know, since then, uh- Tony McDade, who is a trans man killed by police in Tallahassee after trying to defend himself against some people who were trying to kill him. Like, um, we talked about Breonna Taylor and uh, it's hard to know um, in our our attempt to explain what we're missing out on because we've said this before, but unfortunately this list keeps growing, right? And Mm -hmm. it's hard to keep up with which is why um there's protests and riots happening you know and um i think it's really frustrating to see or hear people trying to police the way people are expressing this rage and anger when you know especially white people from their living rooms like to quote him out okay at people and it's like but y'all shot him like (laughs) he did do shit peacefully quote you're right and you killed him for it. You know, Colin Kaepernick has been silently kneeling at a game and he's excommunicated and like, you know, enemy of the state number one for the past like four years. And we're seeing, you know, Trump's rhetoric uh, uh, against the media being, police are arresting media outlets for the one of the first times. And There was that like horrible video of um, that CNN reporter who was, who did not who got arrested and he was a person of color but his white counterpart did not that's an important distinction but you know we have these big demonstrations in minneapolis where the third precinct was set on fucking fire which you know good for them i think great it's um it is important for people and citizens to know that um Police stations can be seized, they can be burned down, and we do not need the police to protect us.
1: I was listening to um, NPR, what's it called, First Up this morning, and they were interviewing um, a young Black woman in, I think, I guess, I think it was in Minneapolis. Um, And towards the end of her interview, she said yeah, like if you guys don't start acting right, like we're just gonna burn all of this down. We're the ones who built it anyways. Mm -hmm. So like we can just burn it down if we want to. And I (laughs) identified with that so, (laughs) so much. It's like, yeah, I say we do burn the shit down. Like, we're the ones who built it. If you want it back, then you can build it up again. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: And I think anyone who has an opinion about riots not creating social change doesn't know their history. And Mm -hmm. especially queer people, especially, okay, um, there was a lot of, like, white faggots in Boys Town uh, who were like, please, if you're you're demonstrating, like, leave Boys Town for us. It's all we have. Well, it's all, all that mostly white gay it is like a white gay utopia in chicago and while it wasn't just about like protecting that area it was about like please don't what is some of the awful rhetoric that's going on like don't uh dishonor the legacy of george floyd by destroying things you know bullshit like that and it's like do you not remember what compton's cafeteria and stonewall like there were about four to seven or like four to five riots over the course of three or four years, that sparked the gay rights movement, and we're led by black and brown trans women. You know what I mean? Like, where is your fucking brain, man?
1: Like, I, I, <laughs> and where the fuck peace gotten us? Like, honestly, right? If right. you can explain to me where being peaceful has gotten us versus where a riot and a protest has gotten us, right? Then maybe I'll listen. Right. But I know that you. There's no such thing (laughs) like for change and progress to happen. You have to take actual action. You can't sit there peacefully and just hope that people do the right thing. Right. We've we've learned time and time again, people will not do the right thing. People don't want to do the right thing until you make them. So you have to make people do the right thing. Unfortunately, it's sad. That's what humanity is sometimes. But right wake up people. This is what humanity is. It's not sunshine and rainbows every single day.
0: Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's also videos going around of people like interrupting arrests. Like you can do that. You know, I mean, you put yourself at risk and maybe I am also speaking more to a white audience right now of like, you know, people asking, what can you do? One of the things that you can do is put your physical body in between police and black people. Like that is like, a way to show up, and I want to also be clear that doing that, being on the front lines, does not mean you are taking leadership. Something that I think that we're probably gonna see more of after last night's events in Portland and other places. Um, White people do sometimes just have a desire to fuck shit up so they'll take that opportunity to do that wherever that happens, you know? (laughs) Wherever lawlessness is sort of present, there's like, you know, people who are gonna come in and just do whatever. Um, I do think that looting and burning is um, a completely viable way to express disdain and motivate social change in an unjust system. And some of these acts of destruction are done by undercover police to make these situations seem more violent than they are. are. There are media people caught on video playing gunfire on their phone to make the scene of what is happening seem more violent to justify police action and retaliation. The police are escalators. And so another part of that though, is that if you are a white person joining these protests, listen to the black and brown leadership in your community at that time. If you, uh, there was this video from Eugene, Oregon, where there is this um, black woman holding a megaphone, screaming at these like white, kids breaking into something and is like, stop, like that is not what we're here to do. And if you are choosing to engage in looting or destruction of property at the direct defiance of black and brown leadership in your community, you are not in solidarity in that moment. You're not. Facts. Facts. And um, I, I want to be clear that I am very, very pro destroying police buildings. <laughs> I, am very, I am very, very pro um, fucking ripping a target to shreds but also if you're one of those people who got to successfully loot or take merchandise don't you fucking dare especially as a white person hoard that shit or try and resell it for a profit you should not be profiting off of trauma right now you redistribute that out to your community you give that shit away for free to people who need it
2: Hmm.
1: i didn't even think about that shit
0: um you know, I uh, when, I'm t- when we're talking about accountability, and I think that maybe we'll talk about this further on another episode, I've been having some really tough conversations with my family and trying to hold my family accountable right now because I think I've said this before, but I come from Trump people. And um, while that is not something to be centered at this moment, I just think that other white people listening to this, if you have family or people in your life, we said this at the top of the show, and I'm going to say it again, and throughout our tenure here together, on the it's a podcast. You got to get your folks together. You know, you got to let him know it's fucking wrong.
1: I mean, the world is (laughs) quite literally on fire right now. And I don't know. It's what I don't want is for all of this to also come off as I don't want us to be selling. And I don't think this is what we're doing, but I don't want us to be selling like hopelessness. It's not about the fact that. I don't want this all to feel so insur insurmountable that people feel like this is just too much, right? Like, we have to keep trying, we have to keep doing, we have to stay strong, we have to stay resilient, and that's across the board, right? Like, Black people been doing that, but like, we still have to keep carrying on. And now, everybody else that's non Black, you're also gonna have to like keep like keep at it and stay strong and stay resilient and keep up this fight because it's it's not. About one person, and it's not about one situation. It is about social change, and it's about changing this world, and it's about changing this world for the better. I know that one thing that I want to do is make sure that the world is in a better place for young Black children young Black children that are coming up in the world now and for the future young Black children that I probably will never meet. And same for queer youth as well. I want to make sure, and especially for Black queer youth, I want to make sure that this world is in a better place that's going to be able to accept them and a place that they can not only survive, but also thrive being who they are without prejudice, without discrimination, without violence and police brutality, like directed at them.
0: The, and for me, that is, I felt more hopeless last week. You know, I, I mm-hmm. felt, I, I find social uprisings in Dallas, Atlanta, um, Kentucky, Chicago, Minneapolis, Portland, New York, Los Angeles. Like, I find that Hopeful, and while it sometimes brings a bit of a wave of a harsher response, um, but when we have the president, you know, calling for the murder of black people um, explicitly and using segregationist language, um, that is not even coded or dog whistling at this point. It's direct calls to murder when two weeks before white people with AR-15s are good people who need to be heard out, like our anger is justified. And our anger hopefully, like you're saying, is going to bring about a better future um, on this planet. And I think that we'll probably, I mean, especially like white folks in this moment, you might see folks around you that are beginning to get radicalized. They're like, they're taking this moment to step into whatever Um, there are going to be lots of people who rightfully will shame them for not being involved until now but if you have the capacity to coach and mentor we need to be building this coalition like this movement has to grow and so if there is space in your life to offer coaching and teaching and education do that again so that the black and brown folks in your life, don't have to bear the brunt of that or bear the consequences of you not doing that. Um, speaking of coalitions, I Larry Kramer died this week, um, who was very prominent in the ACT UP AIDS activism and other things, but that was a movement that was led by mostly queer people, but on the knowledge of the civil rights movement and the feminist movement, which was, Taught to white women by black women, so this organizing tactics are important and coalition building is important. And I am just like, with Larry Kramer's death, I I was able to rewatch. Um, there's an ACT UP documentary on. Uh, oh, Canopy. It was just that like free streaming service um, through the library. Um,
1: all the free streaming i love uh, it services.
0: no it's amazing because it, it keeps a lot of like documentaries and stuff that you may not want to pay for but like uh, anyway they have like two documentaries on act Up. hbo has a doctor documentary on larry kramer himself and i want to be clear he has a complicated history he um he was an angry person who riled a lot of folks up and said a lot of really nasty things out of anger and he moved us forward and ACT UP is one of the only reasons that the government started responding and developing drugs that worked for people. ACT UP is one of the only reasons that women with HIV were getting drugs that worked for them. That only happened because these people staged die-ins. They threw ashes of their friends on the lawns of the White House, you know what I mean? Anyway, I'm just making this connection because activism works. It fucking works. Mm -hmm. Riots work. It wasn't until after the riot that Minneapolis police decided to arrest the officer that killed um, George Floyd. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And in terms of this podcast, as we're thinking about and have this conversation a little bit about better futures and talking to queer youth and thinking about how we can build those better futures, part of that is taking the brunt of that work in the moment, you know, and taking on the burden of making change in our area. Um, I just kind of wanted to close out this section uh, with a quote from Larry Kramer, who had a film history and then he was an author. He wrote Faggots and some plays, one of them being A Normal Heart, and then kind of moved into his activism. But um, this quote comes from A Normal Heart. He says, I belong to a culture that includes Proust, Henry James, Tchaikovsky, Cole Porter, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, Alexander the Great, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, Christopher Marlowe, Walt Whitman, Herman Melville, Tennessee Williams, Byron, E.M. Forster, Lorca, Auden, Francis Bacon, James Baldwin, Harry Stack Sullivan, John Maynard Keynes, Doug Hammersfeld. These are not invisible men. Did you know that an openly gay Englishman was responsible for, as any man, for winning the Second World War? His name was Alan Turing, and he cracked the German Enigma Code so that the Allies knew in advance what the Nazis were doing. And when the war was over, he committed suicide. He was so hounded for being gay. Why don't they teach any of this in the schools? If they did, maybe he wouldn't have killed himself, and maybe you wouldn't be so terrified of who you are. The only way we'll have real pride is when we demand recognition of a culture that isn't just sexual. It's all there, all through history we've been there, but we have to claim it and identify who is in it and articulate what's in our minds and hearts and all our creative contributions to this earth. And until we do that, until we organize ourselves block by block, we're doomed. That's how I want to be defined as one of the men who fought the war. And while I don't identify as a man, that's how I want to be defined. I want to be defined. I want my legacy to be someone who fought
2: the war, you know.
1: We can't fucking sit down, y'all. Now is not the time to sit down at all. And if you are... <laughs>
0: Think about what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so... Another quote he has is, um, it's a very peculiar feeling having to go out and seek comfort from the straight world for something gay. And I think that our aim in this podcast is to center queer stories, to center the voices of folks of color and queer folks of color and try and make
2: um,
0: a better future. Um, In a moment, we'll be joined by my friend Marissa Yang Bertucci, who is gonna talk to us about queer youth and mental health. friends, welcome back. Um, This is a super exciting episode because we have our first referral. So um, we are bringing in an expert pal um, into (laughs) this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My friend Marissa is here um, and we are going to play a voicemail from someone who called in with a question, which you will hear in just a moment. Um, But before we do that, uh, I wanna hand it over to Marissa. Welcome so much. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what
1: you do?
2: Yeah, hi, thank you. I would not call myself an expert at all.
1: I Uh, would. (laughs) I just met you two seconds ago, and I'm also like, hey, Raw. I think you know what you're talking about. Yes, yes, yes. Okay,
2: Um, I I am sweating, but that's (laughs) fine.
1: (laughs) It's hot. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I'm Dewey, actually. <laughs> um, my name is Marissa Yang Bertucci. People know me in the world by that. Um, I use she/her pronouns. I am a school-based counselor. I'm very queer, mixed race. I'm light-skinned in the world of people of color, um, and I do a lot of youth organizing work through the Oregon Queer Youth Summit, and do some like sexual sexualities trainings that I've concocted and adjusted. Um, and I just spend a lot of time thinking about how great young people are and how we have a lot to learn from them and a lot of respect to offer them.
0: That's um, incredible. And I value that statement. And I and I am wanting to step into that space more. I think that um, as I came into social work, the first thing I said was that I don't want to work with kids. And that isn't um, so much like it doesn't come from any sort of place of like hatred or like anything like that. And more just is that is a learning edge for me right Mm -hmm. and so i think one of the reasons there's an invitation is because shawnee you have experience with youth um and i didn't and i know that marissa you have specific experience around this kind of like queer youth in portland and yeah i just kind of wanted to tackle this question that we received together and explore a little bit around this broader topic of um mental health and queer youth, and what does it mean to be a support system, especially in a time when, while we're seeing so much, quote, advancement, we obviously know there's still so much pain and learning and unlearning mm-hmm. to do. And what can we do as folks who may not have kids or don't have kids in our lives, but like encounter queer youth? What does supporting that look like? Um, so that's kind of the framework for this conversation. Um, I'm going to play this voicemail right now, and then we can kind of tackle it and then move on to that broader topic. Does that sound good for everyone? Perfect. No. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> oh
2: my God.
0: <laughs> Hi friends. I'm a long time listener, first time caller. I'm a kind of mostly straight white lady teacher, and I'm like many trying to navigate switching my entire practice online and caring for my students. One thing that I'm doing as a distance learning teacher right now is supporting our gay babies as they go back into the closet for their own physical and emotional safety during quarantine. I'm sure it's also not just kiddos that are having to make these kinds of decisions. And I was wondering if y'all had any advice for maintaining mental health when in the quarantine closet.
1: Thanks so much. Bye.
0: So there you have it, folks. Um... And thank you again to our friend, Julia, who called in. Um, we want to hear from more of you. Um, but for now, let's dive into this. What advice do you two have? I'm going to stop talking for a second.
1: Who wants to go first? I'll go first. I'm just going to yes, please. Voice, <laughs> um, I think it's less about I don't want to offer advice, right? Like, I don't think I'm not going to seem and pretend like I have every single answer in the world for anything, but, you know, from my background and my perspective, um, having worked with disadvantaged youth, you know, those that come from a lower socioeconomic status, um, who also were suffering from a mental issue, I'll call it. it's not necessarily a disease or an illness. Um, some of that was, I mean, that in and of itself is difficult, belonging to what, quote-unquote, as a lower class and then also struggling with a mental issue is just hard for anybody. Doing that as a youth is especially difficult and then doing that as somebody that's young going through that and then is also identifying as queer um can be especially challenging. So I guess what I'm getting at is pandemic or not, this is sort of like an issue across the board, right? Mm. I think that it's about the safety that one finds in their home, and then what can they do when that safety isn't there? If the pandemic isn't around, then like, sure, you have school, you might have other spaces that you you can go to. With the pandemic, you don't really have those spaces that you can run to. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a super difficult question. I think that it's not as simple as like call your friends or lock yourself in your room because that's not necessarily healthy either. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're at home with siblings or parents or just people who don't tolerate, you know, your your identity, then it's a challenge. I Like I said, I don't think that I have like an actual answer to it because I think I would struggle with that as well if I was young, right? Yeah. And maybe it's I just did. that. did. <laughs> right, and I did, really? I did without a pandemic, so. I can't imagine what it's like doing. I can't imagine what it's like doing doing it through a pandemic. I, I would say that I respect, love, and give major kudos to anybody that is struggling with this and is struggling with it during. Yeah, I don't think there is an easy answer to what to do.
0: And there's part of this question that revolves around like for a lot of folks and a lot of young folks, school can be, depending on the school, (laughs) depending on the environment, it can be this kind of place for them to like. Be themselves a bit where home doesn't offer that. And I think that that's where some of this question comes from. Marissa, what are you thinking about?
2: Yeah, I think that's, I have so much love for this question because I see, I see a lot of radical energy in this question of a teacher who knows that there are a lot of limitations in the school environment and also limitations in, in the home environment. And uh, I feel like this question is really about in the very small gaps we have to wiggle and assert our identities or preserve our identities, like what work can we do in that very small breathing room space, Hmm. right? Like sometimes for me, it like almost felt like my survival at times was I like got through just by the hair of my teeth or the skin of my teeth or like whatever that phrase is. I don't know either. Just fucking barely, right? Like just barely we managed to survive. So I see this question as really looking at a horrible situation and saying things are not ideal right now, but like, what can we do in this like tiny little gap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think from a teacher's perspective, I see two two questions inside this question. I think one of them is about how adults can be in solidarity with young people who are in horrible situations. Yeah, and I think more adults need to be asking this question. Um, I am thinking about the ways that adults can really put themselves on the line to show up for young people and ways we can do that appropriately safely and ways that don't make it young people feel condescended to Mm because I don't know about y'all but I remember being a teenager and having adults be like you seem troubled may I be (laughs) of assistance
1: oh they were asking you that (laughs) (laughs) they were just like you seem troubled just you're fine get out of my (laughs) my
0: I had a lot more like you smell like cigarettes and I think you're a faggot can you go over there
2: (laughs) 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 and you're like I don't want to talk to you either so thank exactly. you like, yeah. I don't I have no interest I just remember like the visceral feeling of being uncomfortable when an adult tried to be yeah. to show any interest in me because especially when you occupy marginalized identities you don't fucking trust people you're like right. why are yeah. you talking to me so even the like best intention teacher with super strong relationships when you approach on such a vulnerable subject like hey I know you're back in the closet and that you must want to like literally kill yourself every day <laughs>
0: and I think that's
2: not something you can broach really that's aggressive
0: and it's hard too because uh not everyone is at the point where they know that they're in or out of the closet right like it it's sometimes like I know that there were people in my life that knew me before I knew me you know and Mm -hmm. I feel like if a teacher had or someone an adult in my life had kind of broached this subject I would have retreated too because that secret's mine Or Mm -hmm. it's not even a secret. I know yet it's just like we don't talk about that. (laughs) Like, you know, like that that's a part of that too that maybe complicates what you're saying or adds to it. I'm not sure.
2: Absolutely, because it's about the right to self-determination and the very small amount of power you have by keeping that part of your identity for yourself. And so when you have someone even try to shine a light on it in a kind way, they are taking away power from you and you are at that point living in this small corridor of your survival, trying to just like barely elbow your way through and you're not willing to cede any power. And I have so much respect for teenagers and young people who like power struggle with me even, um, or with other adults in their lives, because I see it as like a bargain for their life and for their own control. And I'm always trying to defer my own power as an adult and like restore autonomy, um, and like undercut myself because I represent the system even though I'm, like, very gay and, like, very brown and very, you know, like, none of those things really matter when you're a young person trying to retain a sense of your own self and you're also marginalized,
1: right? And I think that's the best connection, at least in in my experience, the best connection I've had with young people is when I've empowered them and taken it away from myself, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to, I can impart wisdom if you want that i'm not going to just do it right and like if you if you need advice if you are struggling with something then like i'm going to empower you to come to me for that but i'm not going to i'm not going to make an assumption i'm not going to assume i know what's going on or what's happening in your life or what you might be struggling with but what i can do is empower you to tell me if you're comfortable with it and not in a way where it's like hey like you look troubled tell me what's going on more <laughs> of like a you know, I'm here and it's just a constant reminder, right? Like instead right. of happening one time because you just you noticed something, maybe it's a, I just ask this question every day and every day it sort of empowers this person. Like Sean, Marissa, Maddie have talked to me every day and said that like, hey, they're here, they're here, they're here. I'm actually gonna take them up on this this time, mm-hmm. right? And it's not because they're telling me that I need to or because they like know the thing that it is I need to talk to them about, but they're just creating a space for me to be able to bring that
0: and I think that uh, uh, a kind way to do that too is not necessarily offer it to that same person but make sure that that offering is to everyone but you know mm-hmm. you're talking to that one person <laughs> you know like right. like yeah. like you and that kid both know you're talking to them but you're saying to everyone even the cool kids that obviously don't want to talk to you like I am open to conversations about whatever or I I'm uh, going to show these slight ways of my queer affirmation as I feel like I can. I mean, I was at a, a, a conference. Uh, what is that? The Northwest Teaching for Social Justice Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like this was like four or five years ago. And I was in a room of, um, you know, I was kind of in this nonprofit education uh, adjacent space. And these folks were teachers. And some of them were like queer teachers and there were some of them who were like I'm out in my classroom and some who were like I can't be or I shouldn't Mm -hmm. be and it it's so strange to me I don't know if this is derailing us but it's just so strange to me that as adults even there's barriers around or there's perceived barriers around depending on the administration (laughs) around like what even is able to be offered and where is that line of vulnerability and disclosure um that obviously Mm -hmm. with other peers we would be like well just be open and you know people will come to you you'll find people if you name who you are you know but with kiddos there's like a
1: is my hesitation wrong does that make sense Mm -hmm. in my experience and I mean I wasn't necessarily out to like the students that I was helping out but I also wasn't necessarily out in the sense that I was saying I was straight, right? Like it was just this, I never brought it up. And when we talked about when we were doing sex ed classes, when we were talking about sexuality or whatever, um, I was I was always telling myself internally, if they have a question, I will answer it, right? Like, but they, they have to ask me that I'm not going to just offer that to them because at the end of the day, what is that about for me? Like, what do I feel sense. like I need to offer that to them? if they don't have a question about it. And it's funny because none of their questions were around my sexuality, right? And I would like to say that like most people, if you were to meet me, you'd probably think that I'm gay within the first five minutes, but it was never a question that came up. Their questions were just about what it means to like be going through puberty and to like Mm -hmm. have these feelings. And regardless of who they're, like what those feelings are attached to and who they're directed at, at the end of the day, it doesn't like, it really doesn't matter. Like, you're going through this, this time in your life where you're blooming and you're sort of figuring out who you are and your body's maturing, regardless of if it's men, women, trees, whatever, like your body's feeling that, right? And, the position I took was more of, I'm just, I want to be here to answer the questions you have regardless of what they're about, right? And like, I think that in a way that empowers queer youth to also feel accepted amongst their peers, right? Because to your mm-hmm. point, Maddie, if I'm offering that to everybody, then it's sort of equal. It's not like I'm singling out one particular sexuality or one particular type of student. And I also think that's important as well, like not showing favoritism in any sort of way because then you're not really helping anybody out Mm. giving the others a reason to feel some kind of way at that point you know
2: right you're like balancing this thing of how much self-disclosure is appropriate but then also the only way that we're going to get any vulnerability is if we engage in vulnerability as transactional which it always is so I'm often because of the volume of the amount of students that I'm exposed to in my role as a counselor I have to be really strategic with the way that I utilize self-disclosure in order to get buy-in because I feel like the more marginalized we are the less we trust people because we've had to protect ourselves so I know like I'm gonna have to show a little skin especially because like I'm super femme like very like people would often assume that I'm heterosexual just because we live in a very fucking straight worlds um so like there's a lot of work that I do because I feel like my primary role really is to make my loyalties toward young people absolutely unquestionable and to make my loyalties toward like justice very um hard to misinterpret Hmm. right because young people especially like queer young people in schools we're like sussing out all the time like who's cool Mm-hmm. Like, who's down? Like, who's going to have my back? Mm-hmm. And as much mystery as I can take away, like, as explicit as I can be of, like, I will have your back. And here's all this imagery in my in my office to show you that I will have your back. <laughs> and here are the ways that I'm going to, like, plant, like, information about myself just a little bit, just strategically. Just so you start to have a really clear picture of that it will be very low risk for you to talk to me about these things because I share that identity with you. I think we can deploy those things really strategically while not doing the thing of uh, taking up too much space in the room, making it about you. I think as mental health practitioners, especially like really classically trained ones, we're supposed to like bring no part of our own selves into the room, right? Mm -hmm. It's entirely client focused. And I think that like with young people who are not familiar with like seeking out their own mental health services, there is like a more vulnerability, um, transaction that has to happen in order to get anywhere. Whereas (laughs) like in a classical therapist office, I have paid money to be here. I have jumped through the insurance hoops to be here. So I'm like going to try to be, I'm going to try to be vulnerable, even if it wasn't completely my choice to be here, even if I was influenced by other people. Whereas like young people, especially in a school setting, you're like, it's not that you're tricking them into being vulnerable with you, but you're having to do a little bit more like showing your neck of like, I'm real, Mm-hmm. does real do you recognize my real like <laughs> um and like I can help if you want me to and that being that consistent piece that you were talking about Sean like you know like I'm here every day you yeah. just you know I'm here I'm here I'm here I'm here. yeah and I think Consistency it's a, is that thing yeah and I
1: and I also think that I think I'm thinking about is just the setting for all of this right like a classroom is different from which I'm sure is Uh, what I'm hearing is that's sort of what your background has been in. And then for me, it wasn't a classroom. It was more of like, it was a nonprofit organization. And Mm. these students were coming here for classes, but they were seeing me separate from all of that. Mm. Um, Mm. So because of that, it was, there was, more of an ability for me to be able to set up one-on-ones with these students and like have this one-on-one time with them versus only ever talking to them in like a group setting, Um, which I think is different, right? Like that's, if you're a teacher, you don't necessarily, depending on what your class size is, depending on the district and all these other things that sort of go into what a classroom is sort of shaped around. Mm. Um, If you have 45 students in your class, (laughs) like it's, it's difficult to carve out an hour every single day or like in a week for each one of those students for all the classes you have. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I do think there is a, a point where if you are that kind of a teacher, you do sort of have to pick and choose. You have to sort of figure out like, who are the ones that like really need me right now that like are actually gonna get some sort of, something from this and who are the ones that, not to say like they're fine, but like, they might not need me right now, right? Like, Mm -hmm. they're okay. Like, let me focus in on this. And I think there's a little bit of strategy and thinking you have to do around that as well when you can't create this this space one-on-one with a student and with a young person. Mm -hmm. I
0: I think a cool strategy too that, you know, you're not naming exactly, but one, I'm hearing an advocacy for counselors and more than one counselor in schools. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing (laughs) there. And then the other thing that I'm hearing is that you know, uh, teachers need to know who else is like them to build their network for the students. You know, like if you're a teacher and you have X amount of time that you have to like figure out how to spend that time, a way to mitigate some of that is to call folks in with you, call folks in to keep an eye on kiddos that you can see are in pain, like uh, make sure that it's not just you being the weird adult asking them how they are every day, make sure it's other people asking them that too. You know, I think that that is a, a tool or a tactic of teachers who have um, or folks in schools who have a desire to keep folks safe. Yeah. I, I am thinking too about like, we've gone a certain way, but what does it, I don't know what kiddos are listening. So uh, if there are kiddos that are listening and they're in the closet you know like we can talk about some tips there for now but like in terms of supporting those folks do we have any like specific tips
2: do we mean resources for adults or resources for young folks
0: i think we can do both but maybe let's start with adults just so i kind of like move past the specific question of tips of how to support those folks in this kind of virtual closeted setting Mm -hmm. right like
2: yeah. I don't know, y'all. I like often ask myself as an employee of, a, of an institution meant to discipline and punish, am I willing to be fired for this? Yeah. And I think those of us who understand that these are the stakes and that there may be uh, consequences to us really trying to do our best work in service of young people, I think that we all should understand that that's a possibility and we have to choose our battles wisely but i'm really going to need educators to choose the side of taking a bigger risk because we've seen that not taking the bigger risk we might reach one or two young people save one or two lives but like the stakes could not be higher Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um as far as like making our own allegiances and making our own identities known we have to make sure that we have we can find the people in the building who are like us. We need to lean on our unions really, really, really hard and make sure that we know the legalese. Like, can I be fired for this? Can I be fired for this? What legal resource, what recourse would I have? How do I position myself with as much or more information as the oppressor so that I can come in really strong when I decide to take a calculated risk? Um, I think there's genius queer educators and mental health practitioners who have a have many, many beautiful resources on the internet um, that I can share with you guys after this, maybe to post on y'all's social media. Yeah. Um, But it's really about, I think, this ethical question of we come from a place of fear because we know that we're marginalized, but our young people are just more marginalized than us because we're adults. Mm -hmm. So if we've chosen to operate in these problematic spaces, I think it's our obligation to push the envelope And to be a little bit more vulnerable and more revelatory, even if that means you're leaning on your own community, your own friends, your own chosen family, to gather the strength to do that. Um, But even if it means that we get fired for for showing up for students in the way that we have chosen to do strategically because we know it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Unpopular opinion, maybe.
0: Well, I mean, and I think that that is a call that we're having to industries across this capitalist telescope <laughs> a little bit you know Ooh. it's like it's like how do we challenge those barriers I mean uh, I've been having conversations in school about like why do social workers of a certain status lose their edge you know it's because you adopt mm-hmm. yourself into this bureaucracy that like protects the thing versus the people you're supposed to be helping right but yeah. something I'm also hearing from both of you throughout this has been different maybe from the way that I grew up in the South and different maybe than I think was taught in schools, um, not necessarily like K-12, but like a uh, college of education to teachers of like treating kids as experts versus treating mm-hmm. kids as things to be managed, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I think classroom management strategies and empathy strategies are very, very different than they were 20 or 30 years ago, maybe even 10. So I guess I'm just trying to wonder um, for folks who maybe don't have an understanding that kids are able to self-determine and, and not in need of handholding. And I think that we can maybe remember when we were younger and remember that that was annoying, but what does that reminder look like for folks? I don't know if that question makes sense. Do you all understand that question?
2: Yeah, totally.
1: You just have to, the same way you would, Talk to an adult, honestly, like just talk to a kid that same way. I mean, maybe censor out some very vulgar, like lewd things, but they're not idiots, y'all. Like I I remember being a kid and being around situations and knowing what was going on nobody was talking to me about it or pretending like I didn't know what was going on. And it's just like, to this day, like that kind of stuff influences a kid. So I don't know, like I, just treat them like an adult, right? And I, I can't state that enough. I know it sounds weird, but yeah, treat them like the expert, treat them like the adult. I mean, literally look at this kid, listen to what they're saying and think about the same advice you would give an adult and then just maybe take out the lewd like whatever extra stuff you probably tell an adult but like the same advice still stands right like if they're wondering what to do because somebody broke up with them what would you tell your best friend who's probably the same age as you like you can just say that or if they're wondering about drugs here's how I like to look at it especially when it comes to drugs like you're gonna do this whether I tell you to do it or not so like what I can offer you is like i don't want you to do it you probably shouldn't do it but if you're gonna do it like here's how you're gonna do it same thing with sex right i don't think you should be doing this right now personally but if you're gonna do it you're gonna do it so like if you're gonna do that maybe wear a condom and it's just so you, that simple
0: you're saying give kids your leftover baggie from the weekend yeah okay
1: <laughs> like i have some coke here do you want it No, absolutely. Come on down to the staff bathroom. Let's see what's up. (laughs) Absolutely not. But I mean, again, it's about that autonomy, right? Like my, one of my favorite phrases in life just for anybody is people are going to do what they want to do because they want to do it. And it's just, it's that simple. It really is that simple. If you look at human behavior that way, it's that's what drives it. It's just like people are going to do what they want to do because they want to do it. You can give them all the advice in the world. They're still going to do it. You can shame them all you want. They're going to do it. Like, so if you're working with that sort of mentality of like these kids are going to do what they want to do because A, they're kids, their brains aren't fully formed. Like they're not making critical decisions. They're not making those decisions very well. So they're not thinking critically. So if you can understand that and just say like, well, they're going to do what they want to do because they're kids. Like what can I offer them that's going to keep them safe and the safest that they can possibly be in that situation? You're more likely to get them safe in that situation versus sort of this this uh, model that is, don't do this, listen to me, I'm the expert, I've lived my life and this is what I'm saying is right, so you need to follow what I'm doing. Instead, I can offer you that, but also, if you wanna follow your own path, you can do that as well. Just maybe think about these other guardrails and other things you can do in your life.
2: Yeah, totally. And like kids literally are experts and they know so much better about themselves than we do. Um, I feel like I get my mind blown like 20 times a day from some of the shit they say what I really like about young people is how chaotic they are like just developmentally I think you touched on that a little bit Shawnee just like just some parts of the brain are working a little bit differently developmentally Mm -hmm. speaking and I don't like romanticization of young people that's like gosh they just aren't jaded yet like they just they're so their imaginations are like a mate like What's actually happening is like a very complex and chaotic combination of chemicals. And that makes young people fascinating and also geniuses. Um, And as much as we can honor that in young people in how we talk to them, like with respect, kind of like you're saying, um, editing yourself really as little as possible. I think young people can, all of us, really can smell authenticity. Um, and there's just not a lot of buy-in to, to adhere to social norms when you're young and you already don't trust adults. You're like, why would I? Why would I ever? Yeah.
1: And I mean, kids are also looking at adults like with like resentment and sort of like, well, I don't want my life to be like yours. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it doesn't really help to offer advice that I guess you have followed in your life in some way, shape, or form? Because they're probably already looking at you just like, ugh, you're a gross adult. Like, why would I want to be like what you are?
2: (laughs) Totally. It's about like honoring choices, offering choices. I never, like y'all, like any good mental health provider, I never offer advice or offer anything prescriptive. I validate and say, it sounds like this is what you're going through. Does that sound true to what your experience is? I would imagine that makes you feel XYZ way. Try to get as precise as you can. Listen so closely to kids, right? And like really see if you can hear the values underneath what they're saying and their ideas about the world, about what they're saying. And if you can engage with young people with that kind of presence, they are fucking fascinating. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to listen to them because they're so fascinating. Um, And then you offer, I know other people who might have chosen to do a few things in the situation. Do you want to hear about what some people I know have done? And once that young person tells you, yes, I would be interested in knowing what those people have done. you can present them a menu of things, Mm -hmm. a few choices to work between and ask them really good questions. Like, well, what do you think will happen if you choose to do that? How do you think it'll make you feel if you choose to do that? If you want to do the Coke, um, which like many of us have done, right? Like, (laughs) What are you hoping to get out of that? Um, and listen with real intensity um, and curiosity about what their answers are, um, and that will get you a lot further as far as building relationship and being authentic. I think.
0: Do you feel like that advice changes at all when that relationship isn't quote professional? Like, if my if the queer person, young queer person in my life, is my friend's child. Or Mm. a cousin, or uh, I'm trying to think of a scenario just because like it isn't in my wheelhouse a lot right now. But I'm just like, there are certain clinical limitations that you're kind of speaking to a little bit that I think are super important. Um, Do you feel like there's any difference if that relationship is not as prescriptive?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And this is when we have to be super aware of our positionality as adults, because particularly young queer people, if we didn't get the kind of attachment affirmations that we really needed as young people, we're looking for unconditional um, displays of connection, especially from adults and young people. I remember doing this and being so wild. I would like push it with the adults who showed me any kind of connection in my life. I would push it and i was in some very risky situations as a teenager because of this and like For real. when we're when we're in unstructured situations with young people and we want to talk to them like human beings and engage with them vulnerably i think that we have an obligation to engage in realness with them and maybe we do talk a little bit more about um, explicitly about sex and drugs and rock and roll in those conversations i think it's awesome to do that if you have an opportunity but you also have that obligation in that conversation to name I don't want you to ever feel like I'm taking advantage of you. Sometimes older people take advantage of younger people in the queer community and you might really like it because it feels like attention. And I don't ever want to exploit you that way because I respect you. And it's our obligation as adults to name that when we're in unstructured spaces with young people, with Mm -hmm. young queer people. Give them that affirmation as much as possible, but like, keep it cute, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that is such an important offering. And I'm recognizing, I'm like, I'm recognizing in this moment that I'm like uh, being flooded with shit that I have not remembered for years, <laughs> which is like, um, okay. And that's part of this podcast is the, the free flowing of the, you know, this experimental therapy, which is also production and all this shit, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I remember in my life uh, when I was a kid, I knew very, very few queer people. If they, if Uh, at least out you know and the one of them was this uh, cousin and I remember one time I saw him when I was like 11 and I remember to this day the one thing I heard him say and he was just like drunk and he said like you know kiss my ass or something to like someone else but it was the first kind of like sarcasm kind of like you know faggoty thing that I had like experienced and like that's I doubt that person or anyone else remembers it. But me as a little queer kid, I was like, that person's queer. Like my brain just like you know.
2: And yeah.
0: and there were also other people who I was so vulnerable with because I was nowhere near able to be vulnerable with anyone. And they took advantage of that, right? And and I didn't even know if they knew that they were taking advantage of it, if that makes any sense. I think which I think is why I'm naming that it is a good reminder that that is so easy to slip into when we also are a culture that vulnerability is not super common. That when you're sharing it with a young person, you as the older person have to remain and remember who you are and how old you fucking are.
2: (laughs) I remember just like falling in love with anyone who paid me any attention as a teenager. Just like fully falling in love and being so brazen with how I went about expressing that, like really pushing envelopes. And I mean, there was some really sketchy stuff that happens. And I look back on that with such um, tenderness and care for my young self. Cause I was like, damn, like you just really were so thirsty for any affection. <sighs> and because totally. you have all those hormones, and because you're searching for recognition, you like put it into a romantic or a sexual category, and it's very tricky in the queer community how much that turn- that actually does turn sexual. And there's like big age differences that are right. very problematic.
0: Huh. Call me by your name is what you're saying. Very. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he was so much TV older bitch. than the peach.
0: oh my god Timmy Chalamet years old oh my
2: he took advantage of that peach of that
1: peach
0: did not ask that peach
1: for consent
0: (laughs) (laughs) no I uh, yeah for real Shawnee. what were you going to say
1: I was just going to say like to answer this person's question I just had a thought and that's good yeah those are important (laughs) Um, if you can I'm just thinking about all this happening in a digital setting right and I don't know what The rules are at your school. I personally, if you guys know me, can be very radical and sometimes I'm very, I don't give a shit about the rules. Like, this is what's right. So this is what I'm doing. And if people want to have a whole thing about it, then we can have a whole thing about it. But I'm still going to be empowered for like standing up to your point, Marissa, like for justice and for the right thing. And if you want to fire me for that, then like, whatever, my feelings aren't hurt. Like, I know that I'm doing the right thing and you guys are dicks. Anyways, that aside, if you can, like, see if you can seek out one-on-one time with these quote-unquote students that you, that you notice and that you're hearing about in your classroom. And if that's not allowed, if you can't, I would, I think we touched on this as well, see who is around in your faculty, right? Are there guidance counselors? Are there queer members of your staff you know, that could maybe talk to that student. Now, again, I know that there's maybe boundaries and things that you can talk to them that you can't talk to them about. I know there's like school hours and this, that, and the third. I'm not saying call the student at 11 o'clock at night and have a discussion about it. But um, if you can, see if there is a way to build a team internally and if that team is you and one other person that you've just partnered with and set up some kind of one-on-one time with this student during school hours if you can um, and then tell that student like, if you can find a safe space, right? Like, I know literally going back in the closet is metaphorically and literally probably difficult for a student to do, but if you can still support them and help them and that's sort of the safe space they have to create to survive the pandemic, then listen, we're all in survival mode right now. It's about surviving. Like, I hate to say it, but like there isn't that physical space where they can go to to thrive at this moment. So we have to sort of work with what we have, which is why I think it was why it was so difficult for me to answer the question at the beginning because it was just like, well, I don't know how to get this student to thrive in a pandemic because I don't think anybody's thriving right now. Mm, that's fair. Um, but what we can do is get these students to survive, right? Like suicide rates have gone up, <laughs> surprisingly, uh, in America. And I don't discount the fact that queer youth are probably a high, statist- a high statistic and a high number within all of that. So For me, it's about just survival. Like, let's just get you through this pandemic right now. And if that does mean you have to literally go back in the closet to have the conversations with the right people, if that's going to keep you alive another day, then do it.
2: I love what you're talking about, uh, mechanisms of survival, especially with these intense limitations we have in the digital setting. I think that even as we're releasing this, we have like one or two more weeks left of school, depending on the district. So it's really about pushing out links and connections to all students as quickly as possible and wow. to use language in the ways we reach out to students that do the broaching for us by saying, I know that your living situation may not be supportive of you and your identities right now. I know I'm, I'm going to validate that you may be feeling trapped and alone and I hear you. And like as adults, we really need to resist the urge to say, I think it'll get better once you come back to school. Like there's nothing less helpful than it'll, it'll get better rhetoric, I think. Um, because without that prefrontal cortex which finishes developing at age twenty-five, the long term thinking and the ability to glom onto hope that happens, um, that maybe like those of us who are older like can really strategize for long term hope. Young people just like are not able to do that because their brains are not allowing them to. So it's a trap to tell them it'll get better.
1: Yeah, like Uh, when. (laughs) Because right now it's not and I can't see (laughs) it getting better anytime soon. I, I just, I was liking
0: what you both are saying, which is, like, you know, find time alone, but also, Marissa, you're naming, like, breaching that, and especially with this short amount of time of school left, it's about, like, doing that kind of coded, broad outreach that includes links to things, and it sucks because, like, Trevor Project is one of the biggest things that... um you know, a lot of folks point to and their biggest rhetoric, at least for a while was it gets better. So it's like, um, that that's a hard thing, because like, they do great work. And the crux of that work was by adults looking back when, of course, you have that ability to think that, you know, like, exactly. you, and those possibility models are important. And, you know, I don't know if I would have accepted or adopted that and, and known that. So I think for me, I think too, about like, if I don't have people I can reach out to, there's art to reach out to. Like there is, um, there are queer movies, there are like queer things that can kind of like point you to this space of reflection and you can be in your bed absorbing them and feel warm when obviously the world outside of that is shitty, you know, and like, um, I mean, kids have so much access now in ways that I don't think I did. And I, I think that there was a part of this conversation where we were gonna try and really like look back at to what we needed, but I feel like that's gonna be a whole other episode. So like focusing on the now, but was there anything else that you had to offer about how to think about supporting queer kiddos in 2020?
2: I think it's really all about the validation of personal experiences and acknowledgement that suffering is happening and that it feels really real right now. And as, as much as we're able to do that, we can invite connection back, but even just receiving acknowledgement that home might suck right now, and it might suck all summer, and then you might come back to school and school might suck. Like I just think all of those pieces of cynical realness, I think all of us really need that right now, and I think especially young people, because I think young people then are more able to attach to hopeful narratives once they feel validated in their suffering, and then they can look to um, places of hope that make sense for them, because if they are the ones who seek out the hopeful messages of what could my life be like, what could better look like, Like, who are the hotties in Hollywood that I can lust after? What are the musicians that I want to be listening to right now? What are the remixes? Like, none of that can happen until there's a base level of like feeling seen and acknowledged that like maybe right now is really bad. And so we give them the opportunity to discover their own hope and survival and things that feel resonant for them. um, Once we're able just to acknowledge that honestly without pivoting so quickly as we do in mental health and education so quickly we want to pivot to what are our coping skills what can we do to feel better yeah. how can we fix it
0: and yeah I think that that is um is resonating with my past self of like my biggest frustration was that no one else thought everything was shitty <laughs> you know like it, it wasn't even that I needed my situation to be solved it's just like I just needed someone to be like you're right it sucks
1: you know <laughs> Listen, I I love saying that. That's one of my favorite things. You don't always have to have the right answer. It's just about acknowledging what is there. And sometimes what's there is this shit sucks and I don't have the answer for it, but we're going to fucking go through it together. And that's, I think, what you can offer anybody, but it's especially what you can offer you is that I'm still here. And I don't know if it gets better, but I'm still here with you and I'm not going to let it get worse. So that's just... That, I think that's a good note to end on, maybe. I don't know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think it is. I think um, I feel I feel very blessed by this moment. I think that this was a successful referral. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you guys want to take a quick break and then take some meds? Let's do it.
2: We're almost ready to come back
0: again. Okay, friends, we're back. And like every week, we are going to take some meds. And for those who don't know, that's things that bring us joy, calm, peace, silliness, happiness, whatever's just making us feel fucking right. For myself, I have a very beautiful friend, Jordan Hernandez, who is a writer in Portland, um, who's been engaging in some audio projects and this past weekend we love you jordan yes i love jordan uh (laughs) this past weekend she was featured on opb and it did so well when it aired that they did an entire another day of playing it um but it's called postcards from the pandemic the lonely writer um so if you google that and opb um there's also a youtube video it's about four minutes but it's essentially just Reflections of being a single person in this time and missing touch and missing people and missing items and missing frivolity. And um, I love this person so much. Like they're listed as my sister on all emergency contacts. <laughs> you know, like I love this person so much. And then to be surprised, not in a shocked way out of talent, but to be surprised at how good something is in such a warm way. It's like, um, I felt like I climbed a mountain and it was just mm. my friend did something beautiful. So um, I, I'm not going to play it. It's a little long, but I, I encourage you to look out for the lonely Rider postcards from a, the pandemic. It's on OPB's website and YouTube. Um, it's really beautiful, really beautiful meditation. Her voice is like ASMR. It's wonderful. So that's oh what I'm God. taking.
2: I love when someone's success feels like your success. That's <sighs> so beautiful.
0: I love family.
2: It's like we're rooting for you.
0: <laughs> yes,
2: <laughs> Marissa,
0: what you got? What you taking
2: Oh man, it's been such a hard month, y'all. um
0: What? What do you mean?
2: Oh, I <laughs> <laughs>
0: just got kind <of>
2: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take- say. <laughs> I'm like, must I prove it?
0: I have been people? great, Tony the Tiger. <laughs> oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> oh man, but like recently, I've been having this like hallucination. Almost maybe that's a little extreme. Like, um but like um gosh how to describe I reached a place of you know when you go through so much effort for so long trying to control things that like with enough effort you can kind of curb the suffering of others but like ultimately there's a huge undertow sweeping you away Mm. (laughs) unfamiliar like Mm. a Um, I don't know so I reached this point last week that I'm calling manic cowgirl energy and I would like to share that with you and I would like to offer that energy to everyone else Um, I like had this like image of myself in a really hard conversation just like being a cowgirl walking through a ghost town like twirling my pistols like kicking up dust being like I didn't want to fucking fight right now (laughs) Um, and I just I don't know. It's given me a little bit more clarity in my life to like really take manic cowgirl energy into like all of my personal and professional situations. I'm just like, I can come with a fight if you want. I am ready and I have boots on and I, it's me right now.
0: Don't fuck with me.
2: (laughs) I won't allow it.
0: (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) I love that manic cowgirl energy. I am just like fully the ghost town of it all. Just like shooting Mm -hmm. the swinging doors. Just no one's there. You're just like, pew. I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) In case anyone's around, I'm ready. (laughs) That's fucking rad. I love that. I was able to go to the desert uh, recently and (gasps) uh, being out and just seeing the kind of dust and just being this uh i'm just wearing my fucking like grody driving pants and wet shirt and i'm just like don't fuck with me dirt (laughs) i love that i love that what did you and
2: the sound effect is like yeah 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 yeah.
0: come on tumbleweed
1: she's chronic y'all are silly well my meds
0: are um (laughs) you're silly
1: you're silly you're selling my meds are everybody rewind this episode three minutes and listen to maddie say frivolity again um Mm. that's what my med i love the way you said that and then also manic cowgirl energy no i'm kidding i my um actual things that are making me happy are i got new converse today new white converse and if anybody knows me you guys know that I've been wearing the same white Converse for seven <laughs> years of my life Damn. on this planet. Damn. They had a hole in the bottom of them. It was a whole thing, um, and I finally was like, "I need to buy a new Converse. This is a little out of control now." Um, and I'm wearing them right now, and they're pretty perso- white. Put your leg behind
2: you. come
1: through. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I, I like
2: almost <laughs> No hole. <laughs>
1: Cirque du, C- Cirque du Soleil, who? Um, <laughs> anyways. Yeah, I bought new shoes and I'm excited that I have them and I'm excited for the next seven years in these Converse and what it has to bring. Those old Converse have seen some shit, okay? Like, I actually haven't thrown them away. They're just sitting in a corner of my room until I can figure out what to do with them because there's a lot of emotional energy within those shoes.
2: I have a What pair would of it take partners. for you to throw them away?
1: Yeah, for, that's a good question. <sighs> I don't know. Maybe, like, a lot of money. <laughs>
2: oh, okay, oh. I cannot help you
1: there.
2: Uh, ritual? I don't
1: know. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'll, right really burn, I'll burn them one day. It'll happen.
0: Speaking of queer youth, you need to write lyrics all <laughs> over them. <laughs> and, then, oh. and then throw them into the it's
2: fire. we flag to each other. Oh, my <laughs> God. I'm <Believe>. just going <laughs> to
1: wake me
0: up in September ends. I'm
1: going to yeah, write buddy. down uh, Avril Lavigne's complicated lyrics on you.
2: Oh, my God. Beautiful.
0: Talk about There's my queer youth. <laughs> There's a what?
2: There's a time in Portland before LaCroix blew up. Do you guys remember this time? This might have been like 2013, 2014, where no one was drinking LaCroix and you could like figure out who was also queer if they were drinking LaCroix. Yeah. Do you remember that at all?
1: Yeah, because yeah, I was drinking
2: it. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I'd be like, you're cute. Like, are you? And then they would pull a LaCroix out of their bag, out of their like messenger bag. <laughs> And I'd be like,
1: oh, I see. The first time I saw... A hint uh, of flavor. Yes! <laughs> a fruity hint, a wink. Yeah. The first time I saw La Croix, I was like, is this La-, La Croix? What is this?
0: Unfortunately, it's La Croix, but La Croix is absolutely the way to say it.
1: <laughs> I can't drink it if I can't pronounce it. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> Tequila. Oh, my God, Tequila. Okay. <laughs> Well, I feel like we have had such a successful run today. Thank you, Marissa, so much for joining us and sharing with us. I feel lighter when I came into this honestly kind of heavy. And Mm -hmm. I I really appreciate uh, what you've had to offer and the insight that you've... Shared with me and made me feel more hopeful about these kiddos. I, I worry about them and I'm also simultaneously very afraid of them. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it's uh, I, I, I find both things and uh, they, they are, are, are terrifying. terrible.
1: Children are terrifying. It's because
2: of their power.
1: I know. Yeah. I see a group of teenagers, we don't have to record this. I see a group of teenagers <laughs> just like walking by and I will lose my shit. <laughs> I'll be like, oh my God, I have to cross. The street. It's too many teenagers, and they're cool, and, like, they have all the power. I have zero. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to go over here.
0: <laughs> I have money and apartment, love, music, autonomy, and I am afraid of
1: because guess teenagers what? not teenagers... thinking I'm going to be cool. I'm going to be like, oh, you just know I'm such a loser. Ah, ah. Because you know what? The teenagers are like, love, ugh, money, ugh. You have a job? <laughs> no, we don't do any of that. We're just out on these streets. And it's like... Damn! I wish I could just be out on these streets too, but I can't. I have to
0: keep a little one of these dogs. Head. Put your mask on.
2: They're cooler than us. It's true.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> Thanks, you guys. You're doing such great work, and you're so funny, so cute. Thank
1: That's you. Kind. You're also doing amazing work. Please continue doing that and helping out our young people, because I'm not anymore, and I think about them all the fucking time.
2: They're the best.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You're the best. That, Shawnee,
0: that was so beautiful. I'm so happy.
1: Me too. I mean, I started off this podcast in this day feeling really down for obvious reasons and that really lifted my spirits.
0: Yeah. I think, um, most of our li- listeners and, um, just, we were commiserating a bit recently, um, off air that this has been a hard fucking week, man. And, um, To honor that, our homework this week, take care of yourselves, babes. And my challenge, if there is a challenge, is to reach out to the people that you love and remind them that you love them. Um, I think that that builds off of our accountability um, meditation from last week.
1: Especially if they're Black. I can't harp on that enough. If you have Black friends, please reach out to them. They are not going to reach out to you. (laughs) Hell yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Send some love around. Take care of yourselves. We love you. And um, as you can tell from this episode, we really value your input. Um, We developed an entire working episode around a call that we got. So please share your experience doing the homework, taking your meds, what's making you happy, whatever the hell else you want. Send us um, an email at qbtpodcast at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 971-220-8874. And you can follow us at QBT on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please don't forget to subscribe and share those five-star reviews. Spread the word. And thank you to Marquis and Shanti Darling for letting us use their music. And as always, thank you to Allie Kiltz for helping us with editing. Listen to her podcast, Trace Material, about the history and future of hemp. Shani, are you ready to take a nap or go to sleep or...
1: Take care of each other. I was supposed to be asleep 15 minutes ago. That
0: tequila's hitting, mama. (laughs) Oh, it was your mama's birthday.
1: It was. Happy birthday, mom. I love you. Happy birthday, mommy. Bye, 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 bye. bye Okay, I love you. Love you. Bye. Bye, mom. Trying to talk slick. All up in my
0: ear and shit.